Welcome. Thanks for joining us for our Linden Road online worship experience. So glad you found us. If this is your first time, we want to say a special welcome to you and would invite you to do us a favor by clicking on the digital connection card up in the corner or leaving a comment here in the chat or scrolling down into the description here on YouTube and opening up the connection card and leaving us your email and your name and if there's a prayer request you might have or if there's a question that we might be able to answer and we are certainly glad that uh, you are here and certainly hope it's not your last time so again welcome and if this is your spiritual home we say welcome to you also and are grateful uh, for your presence here today and just want to invite you to use that same digital connection card uh, to let us know a prayer request you might have or something we might need to know here at the church but together we come on this crazy Sunday, right? It's uh, Super Bowl Sunday. It's the Sunday before Valentine's Day. And man, it's been such a crazy week for so many of us. And I want to share that this week I had an opportunity to spend some time with my friend Mark Zimmerman. Uh, Gabe Collins, his co-host, was, was on vacation. But we unpacked the most recent season of The Chosen. It's currently in the theaters. They're playing episodes one, two, and three. And actually, it will eventually be available on the app. But what an amazing story it is as we lean into understanding the life of Jesus in this fresh way. And so, and so there's a link here in the worship notes to my conversation with Mark. You can either listen to it or you can watch it. And I hope you'll be encouraged by it. It's, it's so amazing what this movie series has done uh, as it's appeared on TV, how it uh, now is on the big screen and, and how theaters across the country. It was actually finished number two last week as it appeared in the midst of a number of movies that had a budget that was way more than theirs, but how they honored God by telling the story of Jesus. And so I hope you'll be encouraged by my conversation with Mark. So we are starting a new series. It's called Unveiling Purpose. And what I want to do is take and build on the previous four weeks as we've been in this new year just talking about how do we, as we begin these practices and these rhythms, to find a connection with our Heavenly Father and our faith journey, then what do we do with that? And I want to use uh, another movie, go figure, right, that's coming out uh, at the end of the month. It's, it's called Ordinary Angels. Melinda and I have had the opportunity to preview it, and I can tell you it's an excellent storyline. Uh, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks unpacking uh, just some things that I think the movie we'll touch on that will be so helpful to where people find themselves in this current season. The story is a true story. It's of a fierce but struggling hairdresser who is in Kentucky, and her name is Sharon Stevens, and she's played by Hilary Swank. And Sharon discovers a renewed sense of purpose when she meets and begins helping a gentleman by the name of Ed Schmidt, and he's played by Alan Richson, and I think you'll recognize him, but I, I really appreciate his testimony and faith. And so what the storyline is all about is Ed is a widower working hard to make ends meet for his two daughters. And with his younger daughter waiting for a liver transplant, this woman, Sharon, shows up and she's a total stranger. And yet she sets her mind to helping this family. And you'll see as you watch the movie, not, no spoilers here, but just know that this woman will uh, move mountains to do what she can do to help this family. And what's beautiful is that God takes this ordinary woman and uses her in some pretty special ways. And then what unfolds, and what's beautiful in this story, is how a community of faith comes around her and Ed as he's raising his family. 
And we see as his ordinary Sharon basically becomes an angel to the struggling family. But let's take a moment here and check out the trailer. My name is Sharon. I'm just a ticked off hairdresser with a split and headache. I'm good at plenty of things. Taking no for an answer ain't one of them. You just wandered into a lady you never met before his funeral. Why exactly? Something about that little girl. She's just five and she already needs a liver transplant. Sharon, remember me? Yes, ma'am. So she's gonna help out a few nights a week. Oh, I met this woman. She's a mess. Perfect. She'll fit right in. I'm gonna put together a press kit for Michelle, get corporate donations, that kind of thing. We don't need to be running around worrying about money and bills right now. I just want to be with my family. That's about saying yes and then figuring out how. Girls, help your daddy out. <laughs> I'm not comfortable with this. I'm her father. I'm supposed to be the one taking care of her. You're gonna have to get comfortable being uncomfortable because this ain't about you, it's about your little girl. When your inside's breaking in. Michelle will need to fly to the children's hospital immediately. I've had patients who have missed that window because they couldn't get a flight. Don't lose your faith over this. Officials are saying be prepared for what they're calling the worst blizzard in state history. Is it today? Okay, we'll be there. You want to go on an adventure? Yeah. Let's you go. The roads haven't been plowed. The airport's closed. Honey, listen, it's it's too dangerous. I have to make it. This is our last chance. If we don't take it, Michelle dies. Someone's got to do something. Someone's got to fight for But one thing I know for sure, that little girl now has the entire city rooting for her. I want you to know something. You're not just worthy, Sharon. You're a miracle. So you can see there's a lot of themes that this movie is going to touch on. And I think those themes are going to really resonate with each of us as we watch it. But also, I think with the people we interact with every day, there's some amazing redeeming lessons that come through this film. But the one of the things that's going to stand out is, and it's this big idea that I want us to see that hope, this idea of hope, can help us find our purpose in life. And that hope is something that we all hold on to. It's what gets us through the darkest seasons of our lives. And this idea of hope is what renews our sense of purpose and our calling. And despite what we may have to push through in our pain and in the present moment. Now, what's interesting in this movie, uh, early on, it's evident that this, the main character, Ed, is he's a hurting dude. He's grieving the loss of his young wife. And he's also praying for a life-saving transplant for his daughter. And on top of that, he is buried under a sea of hospital debt. And to say that Ed is hurting is putting it mildly. But I think what will resonate with so many as they watch this movie, either you're in that you're in your own story right now or it's coming up or you've just walked out of it. But the odds are, to some degree, that we've all experienced this kind of hurt. And this idea of hurt and pain come in all sorts of forms. Sometimes our pain comes from a physical wound 
But other times it can be caused by the emotional wounds that we endure. And if you've lived long enough, which most of us have, I know that you've experienced grief and depression and the loss of a close friend or a loved one, family loved one. So today we're going to focus on a family in the Bible to help us unpack this in light of this story. What do we know about this story? Well, we know that there's a family who is experiencing grief because of having to wait. And I think truthfully, all of us have experienced these kinds of frustrating times when we've been forced to wait and we seem to have more questions to what's going on than the answers that we can find. It's interesting, I heard the story recently about a man who was stuck along with a lot of other people at an airport in Florida. And because the flights had been canceled, there were lots of passengers that were trying to figure out how they were gonna get from here to there, including him. And everyone was frustrated and everybody was angry. And I think all of us probably can identify how this gentleman felt. But there was a very efficient airplane ticket worker who was working through this long list of, of people who were trying to help them get from point A to point B and resolve the issues, when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes a guy who thinks he owns it all, and he walks right past everyone, right straight up to the line, and he, he pounds on the counter, and he keeps trying to interrupt the ticket agent to get this woman to change his flight plans. Politely asked him just to wait his turn and she'll get to him, and then, in a voice as loud enough for everyone in the whole room to hear, the whole terminal, in fact, he says, do you know who I am? And then, because he didn't feel like he had gotten anywhere with that statement, he says it again even louder, do you know who I am? And what's beautiful about this story is this woman, without batting an eye, picks up the microphone to the intercom system and says, ladies and gentlemen, Evidently, we have someone here who does not know who he is. Yikes. <laughs> so she says, if you have lost an adult that maybe has identity issues, you can claim him here at the ticket counter. Yikes, right? Oh, my goodness. The gentleman storms off and everyone around the, the terminal there applauds because of just how he got put back in his place. And I think that story resonates with all of us because we love it when someone else gets uh, what's coming to them, right? But what about those times in our life when things aren't resolved? And what about those times when we feel like someone could intervene on our behalf, just somebody to show up and speak for us, but they don't? It's one thing when it's a friend or a coworker, but for many of us, I think, especially in the season we, many of us have been in, what do you do when you feel like God doesn't show up? Those times when hurt is too much and the pain is too deep. In those moments in our lives when our desperate, deep-seated heart needs are not met. Or even when we've prayed and prayed and prayed and it seems as though it falls on deaf ears. So let me try saying it another way. What do you do when God doesn't do what you think he should do? How do you respond in those moments? Is it really true that God offers hope for the hurting? That there is actually purpose in our pain? Or even how do you respond when God seems indifferent to what's going on in our life? Or even seems uncooperative with the requests that we've made? And I think if any of us are being honest, we'd all admit that there has been at least one time, if not two, where we question whether or not God is really there and really is he paying attention to me. I think many of us would never say that out loud, but I guarantee you, most of us have had a moment 
usually at night, wake up maybe two or three o'clock in the morning where you begin trying to process just where you find yourselves. And I know that we've had those tearful moments when it just seems as though, God, why aren't you there? Why do the bad things keep happening? And you actually want to say to God, excuse me, where were you when I needed you? We're going to take a look at a family in the Bible. It's a story that I'm sure you're familiar with who had to wrestle with those same emotions where they felt Jesus had failed to help them like he could have. The story we're going to look at is found in John chapter 11. These folks we're going to talk about today are close friends of Jesus. In fact, we know that he was a frequent guest at their home. And these three people we're going to talk about, they were siblings. It was Mary and Martha and Lazarus. We know that Lazarus is, is not well at all. In fact, he's near death. And yet he lives in Bethany, which isn't exactly across town from where Jesus is because Jesus and his disciples are nowhere near that area. And so here in John chapter 11, it says, So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So Jesus gets this message from the sisters. They're frantic. They're telling him he's got to come and help their brother who is very sick. In other words, I think what they probably were sensing is that, look, dude, you're always healing total strangers, and now one of your best friends is dying, we need you to intervene, like right now. And of course, he will, because he is Jesus. But how he intervenes is where we find the tension. Because we know he's God in the flesh. And so what takes place here? In scripture, it says, verses four and five, when Jesus heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So there's two really unique statements here. There's one by Jesus, and then there's one from the gospel writer, John. And it's interesting, as we know, and we say that Jesus is very intentional with what he does. He says to them, this sickness won't end in death. It's almost like he's saying, trust me. And then John points out something that he wants us to remember as we work through this story. He says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And that should be a reassuring statement that we operate from. But there's tension here, right? And so now the sisters, they've sent a frantic message to Jesus, and he's nowhere close to them. And they beg him to come. And when Jesus gets the message... You'd think at least the response would be, okay, I'm going. Grabs his backpack and out the door he goes. But what does he say to his disciples here in John chapter 11, verse 6 and 7? So when he heard, Jesus, that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. And what's amazing here is he gets this urgent, passionate request to help. And Jesus says, uh, I'm going to wait two more days. And then he says, okay, let's head back. So what's going on here? Well, we're going to take a look at this in four different ways. And so here's the first one. From everyone's perspective, as they look at this story in the moment, they're waiting. So when Jesus and the, and the disciples start walking back, the sisters are back waiting in Bethany. And they had been waiting for Jesus. They had been waiting on him to come and heal their brother because he had been sick for a while because he was a close friend of Jesus. But what happens here? Jesus doesn't come. And they end up waiting. 
And then one day turns into a second day that ends up becoming a third day. And finally, when Jesus arrives, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Now, so let me ask you this. How are you when you read this story with a God who makes a person wait? How are you with a God who seems to be late at times, right? Maybe for your story, you've been trying to do maybe buy a house or maybe you're trying to figure out your next step in education and it seems like things are just not working and you've prayed and prayed and prayed. Maybe it's a job promotion, but maybe it's because your boss continues to put off their retirement and so you end up waiting. And that waiting can lead to real discouragement. And the truth is we spend most of our lives waiting. I heard this week our friend Angie that does the morning drive-in show, she asked a question in the, what do most adults do in their lives that takes about six months of time to accomplish? And as I thought about it, the answer she came back with wasn't all that unexpected when we think about how much time have you spent sitting at a stoplight? Well, they say when they add it all up, it's about six months of your life. Now that's kind of crazy, right? So it just points out to the fact that we wait. And the truth is for waiting, most of us have had a a lot of practice at it, but we're not very good at it. And the truth is none of us want to choose to wait. None of us walk into a store and get our stuff and then uh, figure out which cash register will be the slowest, right? Because we just want to get it done. We don't actually celebrate those moments in our life, do we? And so what do we do? We ask for God to intervene. Today, Lord, if you don't mind, could you just show up? And we say, would you fix my marriage or would you help my aging parents? Or would you help me make the team? Or would you help transfer my boss, right? Why is that? Well, as human beings, we want what we want and we want it now, especially now in this season we find ourselves. Nobody wants to wait. But when we talk about our relationship with God, when he makes us wait, it may be that he's up to something. It's interesting, the prophet Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations, chapter three, verse 25 says this, the Lord is good to those that wait for him, to the person who seeks him. So there's times, like here in John chapter 11, as we look at this story, where everybody is just going to have to wait. And so we try to wait, right, patiently for life to happen. But then there's a stage that comes along where things get a little more confusing because at first we're all waiting. But the second part of the story is that from the disciples' perspective, they're wondering. So Jesus says to his disciples that Lazarus is sleeping, but they don't understand that, do they? Because it's a veiled reference to the fact that he had died. And they are wondering, and trust me, they're confused why Jesus stayed and didn't go to hell. Look here at verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there. What? so that you may believe, but let us go to him. See, Jesus is setting up what will happen in a few days, but the disciples haven't got a clue. They have no idea what's gonna unfold. And so there's this foreshadowing that Jesus does here in the words, where he says to them, because he wants to make it very clear, he says, I waited so that you would believe. Now, there's a lot more questions and answers here for sure. And in some situations, that's how it will be until we get to heaven. All these questions with not real answers. 
especially when we talk about our pain and the frustration that makes life work, right, or not work. And maybe you've been in that season right now where you're just numb and the pain is so potent that you're merely trying to survive. And so here in our text in John 11, at this point, everyone is wondering, but please realize that God is still on his throne. That's what we have to see here. And even when it appears that he is silent, here's the third part of the story. From our perspectives, it may be that we're wounded. We're going to find here real quick that the fact that Jesus waited, wounded Mary and Martha. In fact, his failure to just drop what he was doing at the moment's notice and return immediately was too painful for them to swallow. So when Jesus arrives here at Bethany, Martha came out to meet him and she said something to Jesus. And then the scriptures will tell us that a little bit later, the other sister, Mary, comes out to meet Jesus. And you know what? They both said the same thing. Even though they're apart from each other, both sisters said the exact same line to Jesus. Here in John chapter 11, 21, and in verse 32. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So when we see these words here, trust me, it's, they're not in some kind of sweet southern Chick-fil-A kind of accent. No, there was frustration and there was pain, and I'm guessing even some anger. And I'll bet if we could have heard their voices, there would have been a tone that was not pretty about how they had been let down by Jesus. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lots of anger in that, right? That's what they said outwardly. But inwardly, I'll bet their hearts were screaming, where were you? Why didn't you come when we asked you to come? They all waited and then they all wondered. And they did that because they're wounded now. And now they think it's too late. Now what's beautiful here is scripture helps us in these moments because sometimes life can come at us this way. And so the psalmist says to us in Psalm 13, verses one and two, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Flip a couple more pages to Psalm 119, verse 84. David cries out to God, how long must your servant wait? So it's this waiting, right? We're waiting and we're wondering. And then we see here that we're wounded. And yet we see that we can remain faithful when we keep our focus on Christ, where we trust his timetable, not our own. And I know all of us have experienced that how long season, right? Where it feels as though life has sidelined us. Both Mary and Martha say the same thing to Jesus. We said that Jesus heard the same words from Mary and Martha. But when Mary says it to Jesus, how does he respond to her? Well, he responds by affirming to her that he is the resurrection and the life. And when Mary says it, she becomes emotional and begins to cry. And so Jesus responds by doing what? By crying with her. So both sisters make the same exact statement to Jesus and yet he responds differently to each of them. And what that should give us hope in is that God meets us individually in our own way, in our own relationship with him when life comes at us because Jesus knows what we need. And what was that for Mary? Well, she needed love in the moment, but Martha needed instruction. She needed a lesson. And I have to tell you, I find great comfort in the fact that Jesus knows exactly what each of us need. We can rest on those moments. 
So let me jump to the movie, Ordinary Angels. Uh, this guy, Ed, who's the main character, he's a widowed father, and he's getting home from the grocery store on this particular scene. And unknown to his family, he has these medical bills that are mounting, and he has to, when he's at the store, has to return some items because he doesn't have enough money. And so we meet him as he gets back home. Get my noodles. For what? The noodles, the egg noodles. They're on the list. Oh, I guess I forgot. What do you mean you forgot? I already made the stroganoff. All I need is the noodles. Sorry. Well, how could you forget when I gave you a list? I don't know, Mom. I, I, I write lists so you won't forget. If I knew you weren't going to do it, I said enough. Just leave it. Afford the noodles. Couldn't afford half the things on that list. Billen said if I don't catch up on payments, I'm gonna have to start taking her to some public hospital two hours away. Son, don't lose your faith over this. Come on now. Gotta hold strong. Teresa was on. Seventeen. And now they got Michelle on all those same lists. A lot of good faith to me. And so what do you have here? Well, Ed is a wounded guy. Can you identify with that? It may not be exactly what he experienced, but I think we've all been in those moments where we can say in the mirrors, we look at ourselves, man, my faith is doing me a lot of good and we don't mean any of that, right? And not to spoil the movie, you need to go see it. It comes out on the 23rd of February, but just gotta tell you that God does intervene in a pretty unique way. And he does that through a woman who feels called to get involved and yet she's not the person you probably would have picked to be the hero in this story in the sense of coming to the rescue of this family in this moment of need. Here we are in John chapter 11, and Jesus is getting involved. He weeps with Mary, and he says, Take me to where his grave is. And they take him to the cemetery, and all the townspeople follow him. But then Jesus says something that's totally unexpected. I mean, think about this. Take away the stone. And everybody in the crowd says, um, Excuse me, Jesus. <laughs> I know you didn't get here for the funeral, but you need to understand uh, he's been dead for four days. In fact, it's kind of cool in the uh, King James Version, in this verse, at verse 39 of chapter 11 of John says, Lord, Lord, by this time he stinketh. Okay, that sort of sets it up, right? They're trying to warn him that you don't know what you're doing. And yet it, it's amazing that Jesus is going to teach them a real lesson here in the moment, right? He suggests something that is not really the best thing to do here because he's going to stink, right? Because he's been dead for so long. But you know what? Jesus knows what he's doing, and he's about to give them a really cool il illustration of how this thing works. 
He's waited, in fact, four days to prove it, that Lazarus is indeed dead. And so when they roll the stone away, we all know what happens next, right? He looks at the tomb and he shouts, Lazarus, come out. And in a matter of seconds, out walks his friend in the grave clothes. So let's recap of where we've been. And there's four perspectives we're looking at. The first was everyone's, right? Everybody's waiting. And then from the disciples, we have, they're wondering what is going on. And then from our perspective and from the perspective of Mary and Martha, they're wounded. And then what happens? Well, it's the fourth perspective, the one that matters the most, and that's God's perspective. And what is he doing? He's working. What what looks like is he doesn't care, it's simply apathy, is actually his plan coming to fruition. And it's the heart of why Jesus waited, that he wants people to realize that he is the Messiah. That's the heart of why he stayed for two more days. We could say, and it's a beautiful picture of what Valentine's Day is in our culture, right? That this is the best picture of genuine love. That Jesus loves people. He loves them so much that he wants them to see with their very own eyes and to know in their mind and to feel in their heart that he is the Messiah. Paul reminds us, right, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. So we have to trust in his timing and his plan. So when our individual story takes a hard left turn when we weren't expecting it, we can still be certain of the truth that Jesus loves us. So one of the things I want us to see that comes out of the movie, a really powerful moment, is this statement here, that your purpose is found in something greater than yourself. And in fact, Sharon experiences that, one of the other main characters here. Check out this scene. I got so tired of that feeling, empty, no meaning, no nothing. I had to find something beyond myself, some purpose. That's when things changed for me. Started anyway. So that's my advice. Find a reason to be here that's bigger than you are. Thanks, man. Did you catch that line that she's told? Find a reason to be here that's bigger than you are. Wow, that's such a powerful message. And what happens in this moment is we can see how God's timing is perfect. Or we see that God's purposes in our life, his love, isn't, isn't about our longings. It really is about his vision for us that's bigger than our own. And so part of the process of life is to determine his timing against all these things that may be happening in our own world, in our limited understanding. A quote here from Dr. David Jeremiah summarizes this passage very well. He says, Believers should interpret circumstances by the love of Christ rather than trying to interpret Christ's love by the circumstances. And what that means is that God's backdrop of love is going to change the way we look at things. What appears to be our greatest setback might actually be the greatest thing that God's going to do to set us up for what he's calling us to be a part of. And what's powerful in this story for each of us is that God loves you just as much as he loved Lazarus and Mary, and Martha. He says what? I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that should give us hope. That should give us hope when we're hurting and we need to have something to encourage us. 
because we live in a broken world. And the problem of sin is all this craziness that comes at us, dementia, drunk drivers, divorce, diseases, and death. But the thing we need to be reminded, and this is our opportunity to bring truth to our neighbors, is that God doesn't cause these things. In fact, God is the giver of every good and perfect gift, the scriptures tell us. And it's Satan, the evil one, that comes to kill, crush, and destroy. So in those moments when our hope is fading, in those moments when our heart is hurting, in those times when we just want to say, you know what, my faith isn't doing me much, don't forget this backdrop of his love. Remember what John inserted in the story earlier? And there in verse 5, he says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So today what I'm doing is I'm inviting you to have trust in a God who's using methods that we're not used to, who unfolds our circumstances on his timetable, not our own. So because life isn't like some Disney movie where in the last 10 minutes everything gets set right and all comes together and there's no conflict and we all live happily ever after, boy, we know that isn't true, right? Now, this is real life, and it's messy, and it's complicated, and sometimes you can't pay for all your groceries. Even this week, I was visiting a client in another community, and I was at a Dollar General store, and as I was waiting in line to buy just a pack of gum, a simple pack of gum, a woman in front of me, she didn't have enough money for her, her groceries. And they were just simple groceries that she had there on the counter. And I saw the sales clerk behind the counter reach into his own pocket to pull out some money to pay. And I know she was embarrassed, and I loved how he uh, invested in her. And I have to confess that I actually left my change on the table and said, use it for the next person. You know, that was small, but all of us have been in those moments when life is complicated. And, and we get the bad news from the doctor. And so what we need to decide is whether or not we believe that God is still God. And whether he has hope to offer us when we're broken and hurting. This much I know for sure is that God wants to write an amazing story through your life, but we have to be willing to give him the pen. In this scripture we've looked at today, the most dramatic line in John 11 is, Lazarus, come out. But the most significant line in this chapter is the way Jesus answered Martha when she said to him, if you would have been here, our brother would still be alive. What does Jesus say? Listen to his words again. It's a confident response. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. It's verse 25. You see, Lazarus come out is a powerful word for Lazarus. And it gives him hope in the moment and brings him back to life. But this next part, I am the resurrection and the life, that is an offer of hope for all of us, for literally millions and billions of people. And if you do love Jesus, you've made him Lord of your life, someday when you take your last breath, it, it will have a great implication for you. So this is an invitation that if you haven't, to trust him, to swallow your pride and say, even when it doesn't make sense to me, I'm going to know that you are God and that you are good. And I will continue to trust you even when I'm hurting. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have told us that in this world we will have troubles. But take heart because you have overcome the world. When we're struggling to find our purpose, will you help us remember that one day you will make everything perfect and there is hope for the hurting? Remind us that when we draw near to you, that you draw near to us. 
Give us confidence that you never waste a hurt and that the things we experience that hurt us will only produce greater blessings if we don't get discouraged and give up. Help us to cast our anxiety on you because you care for us and you love us. Forgive us when we question your timing. We thank you that you're never late and you're never early, but that you're always right on time. We pray it through the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for being with us this week. We're so glad you tuned in. And we pray as you lean into the week that you are reminded that you've been blessed to be a blessing. Go forth and serve Christ in his name. Amen. Amen.